My grandfather had a flag out in front of his house. My grandfather in Memphis, Tennessee, and every morning he was a veteran. And we would go out and we would raise the flag every morning. He had a flagpole in front of his house and we raised the flag. And um, I didn't really mean for this to be a patriotic service. We just kind of got off, or I got off. I'm sorry, y'all don't have any blame in this. Um, I want to talk about truth today and truth that's worth dying for. Um, I thought of the statement that Thomas Jefferson made in the Declaration of Independence. In fact, it's, it's etched in stone in the, at the Jefferson Memorial on one of the walls. It's not the opening line of the Declaration of Independence, but in the midst of the Declaration of Independence, a couple sentences in it, in, it says we hold these truths to be self-evident and it lists some things and they're kind of the the principles the truths that we as a nation were founded upon that those founding fathers put their lives on the line for and many people have died for those we hold these truths to be self-evident that document is so significant that one of the places that Amy and I went was to the National Archives. And there is a rotunda there, if you've been to Washington, D.C., and in the midst of that rotunda, under glass, understand, one of the uh, original copies of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, also one of the original, if not the original, copy of the Constitution of the United States and then in another glass there's several things but in another glass the Bill of Rights for us as a country I mean it's it's an it's an elaborate building and it is there mainly to house those original documents we hold these truths to be self-evident these are the founding concepts ideals that we as a nation were founded upon they are principles that bind us as a nation. And part of what's on my heart today is I, I sense in our nation a division in our country when we need, and I understand there are differences of opinions and differences of ways of life in our nation. I understand all of that. But there is some common principles that are the founding principles of our nation that ought to join us together as citizens of this nation. Uh, Abraham Lincoln in one of his great speeches talked about this truth that actually is a quote from Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, but he says, A house divided against itself cannot long stand. Obviously, he was that was in a time of the Civil War and uh, the issue of slavery for us as a nation and uh, obviously Abraham Lincoln is so significant that probably the one memorial that stands out among all the rest is the Lincoln Memorial um, but Lincoln talked about in his day a house divided against itself cannot long stand uh, you see for us as a nation our strength is a common commitment 
to the principles in which we were founded and are so significant that we're willing to die for. Ah. It is also true for us in God's kingdom uh, that there are truths and there are principles that are so significant that not only are we willing to die for them, and men and women have died for them, but I want you to understand today that they are the principles that bind us together. There has to be, for us as a Christian community, if we just talk about Huntington First Baptist Church, because that's the only church I'm the pastor over, so let me just speak to us. That there must be a common commitment to the truths that are worth dying for. It is truth that binds us together in our relationships and and the strength of the church is a reflection of not only my and your connection with God and how I relate to God, but then how we relate to one another. And there has to be a strength there. On, the only way there can be strength if, if, is if there is common ground that says, I may be different, I may see some things different from you, and yes, there's some latitude and there's some, there's some margin in our lives, but there are some things that we say are true and it is the concepts the principles of these truths that bind us together uh, last Sunday I started by bringing to your attention John 1.14 John 1.14 and it's not really the first part of it but the end part of it that I wanted to highlight but and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And last Sunday we talked about grace. And for us to develop connecting relationships within the body of Christ, there has to be grace. There has to be margin in our life for differences and uh, for failure and there has to be grace, just as we've sung about in my own life. Why does God expect me to extend grace to the people within the body of Christ? Because he has extended grace to me. And so my relating to you is a reflection of how he and I relate to each other. And part of it is grace. And so in John 1.14, when, when John, the old man, is writing who had walked with Jesus for three years and he'd lived all those several number of decades after Jesus had died, maybe five decades. Uh, and he had to summarize how did Jesus reflect the glory of the Father? He used two words, grace and truth. So last Sunday we talked about in developing connecting relationships, we have to have grace. Well, guess what I want to talk about today? truth that truth that that grace in our relationships has to be balanced by truth that actually it's a reflection of God first that God is not only a God of grace but God is also a God of truth 
And anytime we, we emphasize one over the other, we get, kind of get out of balance. And if God is all about grace, then, and sometimes I, I catch this and I hear this, that, that God is love and therefore God would only want what is best for me and whatever I choose, that's what God would want. And so, you know, God just rubber stamps anything I want because God is a God of love. He's a God of grace. And partly that's true. But His grace is balanced out by His truth. That God is a God of truth, and His truth does not change. And so God is a God of grace, and He's a God of truth. And when John saw Jesus, the Word became and the Word became flesh, God incarnate, God becoming a man. He said the two things that He reflected of the Father is He is a God of grace and truth. And we saw this. John saw this in the life of Jesus. And last Sunday I talked I used as an illustration to illustrate Jesus' grace, uh, the story of the woman caught in adultery. Uh, this Sunday, that was in John 8 and John 4. It's kind of a lengthy story and I'm not going to read it, but Jesus encountered with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And uh, if you read John 4, I think it's an incredible illustration of how Jesus extended grace, but he also lived in truth. And so, you know, he has this interchange with this woman. He asks her for something to drink, and, you know, she says, what are you asking me for? You're a, you're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. We're not even supposed to be talking, and you're asking for me. And Jesus begins this spiritual discussion with the woman which is an extension of his grace he engaged this woman when culture said you don't even need to talk with her but if we fast forward to the end of the story she understands the grace of god and her heart is turned towards god and she brings other people who and she said come see a man who told me all that i ever did we have every reason to believe that this woman turned and believed in the messiah and jesus and it was because jesus engaged her at the well but Jesus didn't just extend grace. Oh, there was a lot of truth in that conversation. Because there were differences between Jews and Samaritans. And uh, there's a point, and Jesus knew the answer to this question. They've had a conversation about living water. And he looks at the woman and he said, he said to her, go call your husband. Jesus knew what the answer was going to be to this. You're talking about awkward. She said, um, I don't have a husband. Oh, it got more awkward. Jesus said, you've said right, you have no husband. You've had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not even your husband. Wow. Wow. I don't know if this is a great end to the gospel or not. I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying Jesus not only extended grace, but he talked to our... We have to get down to the issues of our life and the truth. And then the woman kind of deflects and says, Okay, I, you're probably a prophet, but you know our father said you ought to worship on this mountain, and you Jews say you ought to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus then begins to speak to her about truth. And he doesn't say, well, you Samaritans worship this way and we worship this way. Hey, just as long as you're sincere and everything, you know, just, hey, 
everybody's got their own path and it'll all work out in the end we'll all get to the same place Jesus said no salvation comes from the Jews he spoke truth to her he said the day is going to come it's neither going to be on that mountain or this mountain he said those who worship God must worship God remember what he said those who will worship God the true worshiper worshipers will be those who worship God in spirit and in truth so it wasn't enough just to believe anything she wanted to he said no we're gonna have to get down to what the issues are of truth and then he he doubles down and he says that again and he says God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth Jesus yes lived out grace but the other thing he lived out was truth for our relationships within the body of Christ these two things must also characterize those relationships and yes it is it is true that as I spoke about last week that we need to have grace in our relationships with one another because there's going to be there's got to be margin of error and people are going to fail I'm going to fail and if if we just set up this wall every time someone offends us or does something we don't like then it creates walls instead of a network of strength and so there has to be grace but there also has to be truth grace left to itself is just everybody doing what they want to do which is what I'm sorry which is where we are as a nation today it appears I'm sorry but everyone can't have it your way we are not then a united states we're just everybody wanting to get what they want and do it the way they want to do it there is no unity there has to be common ground and so in our relationships yes there has to be truth but there also has to be I'm sorry there yes there has to be grace but there also has to be truth I would liken it to rowing a boat and if grace is one oar and truth is the other oar, if you just have grace and you row, what happens? You go around in circles. You're not getting anywhere. Well, you can move from the grace row oar to the truth oar and you can crank that thing. You know what you're going to do? You're going to turn a circle. It's just going to be in the opposite direction, okay? But you're still just going in a circle. What do you have to have? You have to have both. There has to be balance you have to row grace and truth is the only place to get somewhere and so I want you to understand that grace must be balanced by truth and truth must be balanced by grace Apostle Paul spoke about this in Ephesians 4 which is where we were last week and the end of 4 I, I told you in chapter 4 he changes his focus in Ephesians and he's, he goes from theology and and our experience of salvation he goes to our experiences as a community of faith and what my responsibility is there and the unity that needs to exist there and yes at the end of that in verse 32 and be kind one to another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as God and Christ forgave you but before that he talks about other issues and in verse 15 and quite honestly this is a verse or a phrase that I use mostly in marriage counseling but here we go it's good for all relationships in Ephesians 4.15, he says, But speaking the truth in love, that you may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Speaking the truth in love. So truth has to, 
to characterize our relationships. Yes, grace, but also truth. Uh, but that truth must be seasoned by grace or love. And so Paul says when you're dealing with one another, speak the truth in love. Now here's the rule of thumb in marriage and in your relationships with one another in the body of Christ. If it is the truth, but you cannot say it in love, shut your mouth. No, I'm I'm serious. I'm not saying I always pull that off at the house. (laughs) I know that in my brain. If I cannot come to my the place in my heart that I do this out of love and concern and in a spirit of humility and grace, then I just need to shut my mouth. I just... No. Truth that is not spoken in love becomes a weapon to inflict pain on someone else. And so you have to always do an evaluation of your heart Am I doing this in a redemptive way? And let me tell you, the person who is easiest to deceive is yourself. And so I'm going to talk about truth today, and we've got to relate to each other in truth. And you're thinking, well, this is finally my sermon, because I've got some people I need to tell them what the truth is. Well, let me just tell you, if those words came out of your mouth or they were in your heart, just shut your mouth, because you cannot speak the truth in love. If your truth is not seasoned by humility and and the grace of God that somehow God has taken pity on me and I am a sinner and it's not with a redemptive heart, mm -mm. you see, so many times I'm afraid we use truth as a weapon. But Paul is actually teaching just against that. Truth is not a weapon. I believe it is a key to freedom. It is not a weapon to inflict pain on others. It is a key to free our brothers and sisters in Christ to live in their fullness with God. And I think that's what Jesus meant in John 8, 32 when he said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I'm not saying the truth is always received. But I know in my life, when truth is not seasoned with grace and love and humility... It's never going to be received. So anytime that I speak truth, it needs to be seasoned with love, grace, and humility. It is not my job within the body of Christ to let everybody know what the truth is. You see, there are certain barriers to our relationships. And I really at least alluded to one last week. You see, because the call is that we extend grace in our relationships. The barrier to that would be what I would call just being judgmental. Uh, It's kind of interesting when Jesus says, Judge not, lest you be judged. I really believe uh, he wasn't talking about those outside the church. He was talking about those who were within the kingdom. And so he wasn't saying, 
don't be judgmental to those outside. I think he's really saying don't be judgmental to those within so that they don't judge you because we're all sinners saved by grace. And so one of the barriers to connecting relationships is a judgmentalism which does not extend grace. In fact, it would be the side that's rowing with the truth oar. I can tell you what the truth is and this is the way it goes. You're just going around in circles. The other barrier to connecting relationships, at least at this point, and I, I really don't have a great word for this other than relativism, and what I mean by that is we can so be so loose with the truth that anything goes. And we can say, oh, we just need to be grace, graceful, you know, just, just love everybody. And I'm about to use a mechanical illustration here, and David Box has stepped out of the room. My son-in-law's sitting here. Paige, just shake your head. Just say, Papa D, you told it straight up. You know, I got to think about a vehicle. When a vehicle runs down the road, you know, it's got to have some give. It's got to have some grace to it. And so it's got shocks. It's got struts on the back wheels. And then on the front, it's got certain suspensions. Now, I don't know what all those technical terms are, Paige, but I know some of them have broken on some of my old cars in the past. And I said, no, dude, it looks like this. Oh, that's a sway bar, sir. Okay, I need to replace that sway bar. But if you look under, particularly the front end of a, of a vehicle, there's all kinds of ways that that vehicle can move with the contour of the road. And particularly if you're a crazy driver or something, you know, you're going to need that. Now, there's got to be some give in a car. But the problem is, some of the cars that I've owned, if you've got too much give <laughs> and you get up to a high enough speed, you're out of control. You don't have control of the car. There's, it's too loose. Everything's not working the way it's supposed to be. That's my illustration, my mechanical illustration about grace. And Thank you, you're just saying that. Uh, no, there needs to be grace. There's got to be margin for movement and differences but you can't make it so loose that anything goes. That's what I would call one of the barriers to genuine connecting relationships is a relativism that just says, well, I, yeah, it's all right if that's the way you see it and that's what you're going to do. No, there's a point that there has to be some common ground to say on these truths we stand and they are what bind us together. Yes, is there margin for error and differences? Yes, but there have to be some truths that bind us. Otherwise, there's no structure in any movement or organization, whether it's a sports team, whether you're a radical Islamist, there is some ideology, there is something, some compelling thing that says it binds us together. And so it is for the church. There are some truths that we stand on, that we hold. Jesus prayed for his followers. In that section of scripture in John 15, 16, he, he's talking, but in 17, he begins to pray. And he's praying for unity. He's praying for unity. In verse 17, he, Jesus, before he leaves this earth, prayed to the Father, sanctify them in your truth. John 17, 17. The only way to be unified and to be together and to create a network is, yes, for there to be grace, but there also must be truth that we hold these truths to be worth dying for.
there need to be interrelated relationships. There may be things I would say to Sammy Weaver that I wouldn't say to anybody else in this room. And there's probably some things that Sammy Weaver would say to the preacher that none of the you, rest of you would have the guts to say to me. Um, because Sammy and I have a relationship. And so it's, it's not my job to go around telling everybody the way I see it and what I think. But Sammy and I are close enough that there are some things both ways that we would say, hey. There needs to be a culture, a common commitment that said there are some truths that all of us hold to that are non-negotiable and are worth dying for. And we must, we must stand on those things. And it gives us strength. There must be a culture of a common pursuit for the truth. And obviously that truth is recorded. You can tell me a lot of things about what God told you. But for us, we go to the scripture and says, God has told us everything we need to know that we need to know, not everything we want to know, but we need to know in his book. He wrote it down. And so there needs to be a culture as we have connecting relationships in which we are holding each other accountable in grace and humility and love, even as Solomon wrote in Proverbs that iron sharpens irons. I read yesterday in Proverbs, so it had to be chapter 30 pretty sure he says the wounds of a friend are faithful and he says something else that is the opposite of that something but the gifts of a of an enemy are bad <laughs> if a friend says something that's hard listen because they love you if an en enemy tries to do something good for you <laughs> look out because <laughs> you don't know what's coming better to have the wounds of a friend than a gift from an enemy I got to thinking about what truths we hold that have been revealed to us by God and this is it we hold these truths to be revealed by God that God is our creator he spoke everything into existence at the very beginning. Everything finds its source from God. He is the very center of all of our existence. God, in His perfect plan, made us as human beings in His image. He made us in His image to have a relationship with Him. Obviously, we broke that relationship and have been separated from God. But God is sovereign over the events of all of human history in our world, His hand still controls everything that goes on. And in the course of that human history, God revealed Himself, and the Bible is the written record of God's revelation of Himself. It is truth without error from start to the end. And in the course of time, according to God's redemptive plan, God came in the flesh Himself in the second person of the Trinity in Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, to live a sinless life and ultimately to be the solution for our sin problem by His death on the cross. And there is no other 
way to be saved other than faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what he calls us, not to bring our works to him, but to come in faith to trust in the only Savior who died for our sins. And when we do that, the very presence of Holy God and the person of the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us to change us into His image. To day by day as we study His Word and we are in relationship with Him, that He would change us into His image that was marred by sin. There must be a commitment among those that hold these truths. (laughs) That we give ourselves for God's kingdom because He is King of all. It is not about my kingdom and it's not about my wishes, but I pray that His will would be done and His kingdom would come. And we know that it is, is His, according to His perfect plan, that He has empowered us to take the message of this gospel, these truths, into all the world that those who believe might also be a part of His kingdom and spend eternity with Him. And in fact, He says that when the day comes, then all have heard. Jesus will come back. And history will be closed. And the men of all time will be brought before the throne of God and they will be judged. Their eternal destiny will be determined of what they did with Jesus Christ and whether they believed in Him. And there are only two places in all of eternity. There is heaven and there is hell. Hmm. Huntington First Baptist Church, we hold these truths. And it is these truths and those simple truths that bind us together And we hold each other accountable to that within those parameters to say, no, this is true. This is the common ground on which we will stand and we will be unified. And that unity will be strength because we dealt with each other not only by grace but also by truth. Amen. Amen. If you'll stand with me this morning. Father, today um, we pray in these days that you would bind us to yourself and then you would bind us to each other. And that you would do a work in these days of strengthening our relationships with one another. And Father, I pray that as we abide with you, that you would bind us together and you would use that, that power of unity, Father, to strengthen us to take the gospel, yes, into all the world, but also right across the street in Huntington, Texas. So Father, we trust this to you. We give you this time. Father, for us to make the decisions and the commitments that we need to make before you today. I pray it all in Jesus' name.